The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, the President of Israel has just finished speaking at the World Economic Forum in Davos where he claimed the international community is to blame for the lack of aid entering Gaza. Organisations across the world have been calling for increased provisions into the area to prevent what they say is already an extreme humanitarian crisis. I'm joined on the line now by Tess Ingram from UNICEF who's just left Gaza in the last 24 hours. Tess, good morning. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. How are you? You have just come back from Gaza. You've spent some time there. Can you describe the situation that you've seen? I can. It's truly heartbreaking, Pat. There's children everywhere around Rafa at the moment. We estimate that nearly one and a half half million people are living around Rafa now in the south, which is where I spent most of my time. And with about half of the population of Gaza being children, everywhere you go, you, you see children running around. And and the conditions in which these families are living are are really terrible. Uh, They're in makeshift shelters made of bits of plastic tarpaulins and and blankets and ropes. And it's incredibly cold and wet in Gaza at the moment. So for these children, uh, they're hungry, they're tired, they're exhausted, and, and they're still frightened by the ongoing bombardments, which are creeping closer towards the south of the Gaza Strip, where most people are now seeking shelter and safety. Now, when you were there, was the bombardment uh, audible all the time? Absolutely, yes. We were, um, uh, our look, our accommodation is on the border of, of Rafa and Khan Yunus, and so through almost every night we could hear the bombardments, um, many throughout the day, and we spent quite a bit of time in, in Khan Yunus, um, particularly at the NASA hospital, and um, when we were there, we were very, very close. We actually visited NASA Hospital the, the day before yesterday, and I met many families there who, a matter of hours later, we heard that as, as the um, shelling came closer to the hospital, many people evacuated because it was, it was really closing in there. Now, the kind of resources that uh, people have in those hospitals, for example, has medical aid been getting through to them? We're doing our absolute best, but every doctor that I spoke to told me about the shortage of, of medical uh, supplies, particularly for people who had pre-existing conditions, say, for example, heart conditions, kidney conditions, diabetes. Those sorts of medicines are really hard to get. And as a result, people, children with those with those conditions are struggling. And then, of course, there's a need for emergency medical supplies. UNICEF is, is bringing in those as well as kits for um midwifery and and obstetric kits for caesareans, but far more is needed at the moment. Um, What about anaesthesia? We've heard horrifying reports of amputations without uh, the availability of anaesthesia. Yes, I um, actually met a young boy called Ibrahim um, at NASA hospital the day before yesterday. He's he's 13 and and his hand was injured by a shrapnel. Um, Unfortunately, it became infected and, and he ended up having to have his whole arm amputated and um, that was without anaesthesia. The question of getting aid across, I mean, how many border crossings are open? How long does the inspection take uh, by the Israeli authorities? And indeed, if it's coming through Egypt, the Egyptian authorities. And then what? Because you can get it across the border, but then you've got to, to get it to the areas of need. Yeah, exactly. So challenge one is is getting it in. There's two crossing points open now. And the amount of aid getting in is is just a trickle. 
Um, as somebody described it to me yesterday, we are dripping aid through a straw to an ocean of need. So we need far more aid to get in through those crossing points. We need better visibility of the screening uh, processes that happen. Um, sometimes we we have trucks go in one end and, and don't come out the other end for, for a matter of days. And we're not sure in which order they come out, which makes our planning very difficult. Um, and then, as you say, Pat, once the aid's in, we have to figure out how we're going to distribute it in this incredibly challenging environment where there are ongoing um, bombardments, there's telecommunications blackouts constantly. There was an enormous one this week where we weren't able to coordinate with our partners on the ground to let them know what we were bringing and where we were bringing it to or asking them to come and meet us. Roads are damaged, there's not enough fuel. So these are the challenges that the team faces every day in the Gaza Strip in trying to get things like water and blankets and food to, to children that need it. But they're doing a tremendous job despite those conditions. I mean, there is a hierarchy of need, obviously, water being uh, the, the the substance without which people simply cannot survive. Uh, food, uh, obviously necessary, second to water and shelter, an important third. But then the, down the line, then there is the disposal of human waste, sewage treatment and so on. I mean, has the whole infrastructure kind of broken down or is some of it working? Some of it's working, but it's only kind of shuddering through at the moment. Um, I heard a good example of a, of a sewage plant that um, has a generator that has been working overtime to keep the treatment plant going, but is now on its last legs and only able to run for a few hours a day. And, and as a result, the system is kind of breaking down and, and there's leakage into the streets, which is a terrible public health hazard. So. We need to be able to get more construction materials and other equipment across the border to help repair water and sewage systems. But there are restrictions on those sorts of things. For example, generators, we can't get them in at the moment. So we need these restrictions to be lifted so that we can make sure that the essential services that people rely on are up and running. Now, you mentioned it is just literally a drop in the ocean. You're dripping that need. uh, You're addressing the need, the ocean of need, uh, through the dripping of a straw. How do you decide who gets what? Because clearly people will be at their wit's end. Morale will be very low. Anger will be high. Um, Keeping civil order may be a problem. Yeah, look, people are incredibly desperate for aid. And um, I think that just really indicates how hard it is for people to survive at the moment. I can imagine if you're a mother who can't get food or water for your child, you would become increasingly desperate to get your hands on whatever you can. And so we are we are distributing aid as it is available to the people that need it where we where, wherever possible. Um, but we need more commercial goods um, to get into the Gaza Strip, Pat, to help relieve the pressure and the tension around that aid delivery. If more commercial goods can get in and replenish the markets, we're also providing cash assistance so people can buy those goods. And we really think that that would help um, create a more more freedom in in the open market. Mm. And from the point of view of UNICEF, is there any civil authority in the Gaza Strip that you can talk to? I mean, the Hamas authorities on one side, uh, the Israelis, the leaders of the IDF who are on the ground there. Who do you talk to? Who do you negotiate with if you're trying to get something done? Well, like we do all over the world, we we work with all parties to make sure that we can do our job and and deliver to children. The needs of the children um, are our primary focus and um, UNICEF is there and, and delivering to make sure that the children across this conflict um, are really, you know, served as much as, as possible by our aid. 
Um, in terms of the, the hierarchy of conflict that uh, UNICEF has seen, where does this lie? Is this pretty much the worst of the 21st century? We've said that the Gaza Strip is currently the most dangerous place in the world to be a child, and, and we don't say that lightly. We say that having looked at the percentage of children that have died as a proportion of the population in other conflicts, um, and, and this one is incredibly deadly for children. I'm wondering, have you come across any Irish medical personnel or aid workers who are involved in the Gaza Strip at the moment? I have, yes. Yeah, there's some some fantastic Irish colleagues throughout the UN system in, in Gaza who are doing a wonderful job. All right. And what next for UNICEF? What more can you do? Look, we... We desperately need those conditions to improve for the distribution of aid um, and ultimately we need an immediate ceasefire so that we can do our job and that the children of Gaza get some respite. That's that's the number one ask, but until then we're on the ground, we're not leaving, we're doing everything that we can. And the concentration of the population now in one particular area, that obviously exacerbates uh, the problems. More people, more demands for food, for water, for shelter. Um, I mean... Does it ever feel hopeless? It does. There are days when it can be incredibly difficult to to feel like you're making a difference or that this is going to end anytime soon, but I don't think we can lose hope, Pat. I think we just have to keep swimming against the tide, doing everything we can, because having seen the situation on the ground, uh, the children of Gaza need everything that we've got. Tess Ingram of UNICEF, thank you very much for joining us on the line. Thank you. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.